welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning. I'm Pastor Rick Pennington. I come to you from your sister church in Hollister. I've been there about 30 years. And uh, I also have the privilege of being one of the officers of the Blue Water Presbytery, which is the sister organization, the presbytery that joins us together and tries to help us do things together, have vision together, group together. Uh, Hollister brings you greetings. They're praying for you in your time of transition. And uh, one of the things that Dorothy and I chatted about briefly is, I think your church is well positioned to do your transition much more quickly than most of the churches have done them in the last 10 years. They've already thought about, worked through, and hope to use outside resources to bring your transition quickly to an end. That's good news. I also bring you, just in case you don't know, I I think this is my third or fourth time here in the last year and a half, Uh, I bring you greetings from the rest of the presbytery. I've had the privilege of preaching or speaking in 10 of our churches in the last year. Uh, We started as a denomination, as a group, ECO, in uh, 2012. Uh, We started about 15 churches in the southeast, and uh, then we started growing, and we had a vision for a vital, exciting, thriving church uh, system. And we think we've begun to uh, do that. We're excited about that. Um, When we, this church and 10 other churches from the old San Jose Presbytery, PCUSA, left PCUSA and joined ECO, uh, we were part of Northern California, Northern Nevada, which had about 30 churches in that region. Then just uh, three years, a little over three years ago, we uh, decided to split those two. We want to try and have presbyteries that are a little more compact, so they're between 12 and 25 churches in a presbytery, in a region, that can be sister organizations to help each other. Um, We started with about 15 three years ago. Now we have 22 churches and campuses. Um, In the old San Jose Presbytery, we had about 10,000 congregants in 43 churches. Uh, Now we have about 14,000 congregants in 22 churches. God has helped us and encouraged us right now nationwide. We started with 15. In about six years, we are now just around 400 churches nationwide. So I bring you greetings from all of them. I've had the privilege of being on the, what's sometimes called the Committee on Ministry or chair of the MPT, which is Mission Partnership Teams, whatever. They always have to scramble the letters. I don't know if you've noticed that. Presbyterians are good about, you know, uh, committees and groups and labeling things. Anyway, I bring you greetings from many of them. Pray for your sister churches that are in transition. Uh, Walnut Creek, uh, Morgan Murray left their church this year, and they're in the process of searching for a new pastor at Walnut Creek Presbyterian. And then uh, our West Valley Church up in Cupertino, uh, Pastor Kim was there 15 years, and she has resigned, and they're in the process of searching. So uh, all three of you pray for each other and encourage each other in this transition. Uh, A little about me. I grew up in Morgan Hill. Some of you may remember when I was here. I grew up in Morgan Hill. I went to school as a chemistry major in Chico in the 60s, a long time ago. I earned this gray hair. Um, 
And I had the privilege of being part of something really great. Uh, there was a little group there, uh, about 15 students called InterVarsity. And there was a fellow that came, and this is just a testimony of the power of prayer. Gary Ladon came and prayed, sat in front of Shasta Hall every morning in the summer of uh, 1968 and prayed that God would bring some men, not trying to be sexist, he just, the, 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 you ladies, you're just more spiritual than we are. He knew that if we could get some guys, things would go better. University at that campus at that time was almost all women, Gary and one other guy and 13 women. So he prayed and that fall, 22 fellows moved into second floor of Shasta Hall and uh, 19 of them are pastors and missionaries to this day. 50 years later. Uh, the university group went from 15 to 500 in three years, uh, including 100 conversions a year. We were too stupid to know that God didn't own the campus. We just figured God was letting the, the folks who were coming just be a resource to do evangelism with. Education was secondary. And we just believed God was going to do a great work. And indeed, he did. So... Uh, I encourage you to just keep looking from generation to generation to the new thing that God's going to do. Our passage this morning is from the sixth chapter of Isaiah. If you guys want to find that in your Bibles, you're welcome to. I see you have a place for sermon notes. I'm going to have six primary points that I'm going to share with you. Let us read the passage together. This is the sixth chapter of Isaiah. This is the calling of the prophet Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted, with his train, the train of his robe, filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, and each having six wings, with two they covered his face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called out to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse four, and the foundations of the thresholds tremble of the temple at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, woe is me, Isaiah. Woe is me, I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, and which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Whom will go for us? And I, Isaiah, said, Here am I, send me. And the Lord said, go and tell this people. King Uzziah reigned in Israel, the second longest of any king. It's about 200, 250 years since the time of David and Solomon. Uzziah uh, reigned and was a great king in many ways and presided over an incredible time of prosperity and peace. For the first 30 years or so of his reign. He was uh, mentored by, corrected, and given advice by the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah died, and here is a, a fellow now 
Um, getting on in age, he, he became a, a, the king as a teenager. Now he's later in his life and he became more and more proud. And without Zechariah to admonish, challenge, and encourage him, he became kind of proud. One of the things he did was something he shouldn't do. He entered into the temple or the holy uh, places at the tabernacle and he, uh, or the temple, excuse me, Solomon's temple. He entered in and he, uh, he offered incense to the Lord, which was a priestly function. It was a sin, it, incense were a, a symbol of prayers of the people pleading for forgiveness and mercy and love. Uzziah took it upon himself to do that. If you read this story, I think it's 25th chapter of Chronicles, 2nd Chronicles, and the Lord immediately gave him a response to his arrogance. He developed leprosy right in the center of his forehead, and he had it until the day he died for 20 years. He had to live apart from his family. He had to live separately from uh, his people, and he could only basically talk with them through intermediaries. It's a, a cautionary tale about leaders getting arrogant or leaders uh, taking too much upon themselves. But that's actually a second story. I think this passage is about two things, primarily. I think it's about who God is and who Isaiah is. First, who God is. God is pictured on his throne in heaven. You are living through a time of transition. When things are maybe a little uncomfortable in transition. Pastor Rick, who's been here a long time, is moving on. You still have Pastor Dorothy, Pastor Luke. You have some great folks here. But it feels a little bit uncomfortable. I know about that. I've been at my church through four transitions of four pastors. Uh, three times I was the interim there. And uh, I think you guys are already ahead of what we did in the way we sought a pastor you need to do it as quickly. You need to be careful. You need to be thoughtful, but you need to do it as quickly as possible and get through this transition. How do you do it? Well, first is to know who God is. Isaiah had a vision and was taken up into the heavenly realms as part of his call to be a prophet. He says, I, in the year that King Uzziah died, so it's a time of transition, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, or lofty and exalted. One of the things I would say to you is, one of the first things that needs to happen in a transition is you need to have a fresh vision of the Lord, from the Lord. Seek the Lord, seek his face, and remember, as great as Pastor Dorothy is, and Pastor Luke, and Pastor Rick, they're men and women. We don't serve Dorothy, or Luke, or Rick, or me, or the elders, you serve the Lord. And the Lord sits on his throne today just as he did 3,000 years ago. The Lord is on his throne and he is in charge. Believe that and have a vision of that and know that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, cares about you and your leadership and your church. That's very important. His presence, so I'll use some alliteration here, his, his place, excuse me, his place is the throne of heaven. God is seated on his throne. Nothing really has changed from last year to this year. God is still on his throne. That's his place. His personality. The angel calls out, the angels sing, holy, holy, 
holy. That's who God is. He's holy. Now, he's holy in several ways. He is holy other. In some ways, all the analogies, the visions, the descriptions of God fall short. God is bigger and wider and further than any of our imaginings. He's the creator of the universe, hope of the world. Second thing is, he is wholly good. That is his nature. He is good. And he is wholly in love with us. That is beyond understanding. We are a fallen people. It's amazing he loves me, but he does. And he is wholly in love with his people. And he gives himself for us. Most demonstrably on the cross. Holy, holy, holy is who he is. And finally, his presence, third P, his place, his personality, and his presence. I, I love this phrase. It's an interesting phrase because you can easily whiz right by it. But what is Isaiah saying? What is it meant to, by implication, suggest to us? I believe that that first verse, and it says, his tra the train of his robe filling the temple. There were three symbols in the ancient world of sovereignty, of kingship. A, a crown, a scepter, and a robe. And the idea of his robe filling the entire space. In the Old Testament, the throne room of God was in sense to be a uh, symbolic representation of creation. And that is that God's robe fills the temple just as symbolically God's robe fills creation. He is everywhere. He sees everything. He knows us, his people. He's present everywhere. And what does that do? It, it's interesting in the fifth chapter of the book of Luke, when Peter, James, and John had their first major encounter with Jesus, they're three professional fishermen. They know about fishing. They're proud of being fishermen. And Jesus comes up on the scene and he's encountering them and he has, he has them pull up. He gets in their boat. He says, put out a little ways and drop your nets. But Lord, we, we fished all night. I mean, the sentence is so full. Lord, we're, we're fishermen, forgive us, but hey, you know, you're a carpenter. What do you know about fishing? We know about nets and hooks. You know about saws and, you know, that kind of stuff. And they push out, and one description of this event is they pulled in until the nets were overflowing and the boats were sinking. Why was that important? Several reasons. Come back, I'll preach that sermon another time. But one thing that's really important there is that he is the Lord of all of creation and all of our expectations and all of our activities. We may think that we're great tennis players. We may think that we're great one-on-one uh, -on -one basketball players. And a 20-point game, he'd smoke us every time. He's the Lord of all creation. He's the Lord of our life. He's the Lord of you and me. And Peter has the appropriate response in Luke 5. And it's very much like Isaiah's response here. Oh, Lord, he gets down. Depart from us. Isaiah says, oh, Lord, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. That's Isaiah's way as a prophet of saying, we're sinners. We blow it. 
and we blow it in a major way. So who God is, his place, and his personality, and his presence, who we are, we're sinners. Woe is me is the appropriate response. When you have a major vision of God, you should be excited because you are in the presence of the king of the universe, hope of the world. Woe is me, and what does God do with that? We're sinners. What he does is he sends an angel with tongs to take a coal from the very altar of heaven and brings it and touches his lips, which is symbolically saying, you're cleansed and your sins are forgiven. It says that right in our passage. Your sins are forgiven. What happens? Isaiah knows that he is a man undeserving of God's attention and love. And yet he's been called to the throne room of God in this vision. He's been touched on the lips. He's been cleansed. He's been saved. So although Isaiah is a sinner, he's been saved, but he's been saved with a purpose. Finally get to the end of the passage, our passage this morning. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? As Isaiah heard it and he said, here am I, Lord, send me. If you are a people who've had a fresh vision of the Lord, and I hope you do, every one of you, as part of this transition, needs to have a fresh vision of the Lord. And when you sense how big, how strong, how powerful, how great, as we sang earlier in our song, how great is our God. You have a sense of your smallness, and yet, because you are a servant of the Most High God, you can do something phenomenal. You can be sent. Most of you will be sent right into this church and right into this community. There's someone this morning, I guarantee you, there's someone in this pews this morning who's hurting. They don't feel well. They've had an argument with a spouse, an argument with a child, an argument with a parent, an argument with a friend, a breakup with a boyfriend, a struggle with a girlfriend. Uh, school is not working out. The Lord, the Lord of the universe would send you as part of the help as part of the solution, as part of the encouragement that they might too experience a vision of the Lord. The Lord would send you into the lives of those around you to make a difference. Have you seen the Lord? Do you thank him for his salvation of you, his cleansing of you, his making you different? Who's he sending you to? Who, do you, who, who are you being called to love? Is there somebody you've had a disagreement with in this church? How can you love them? How is he sending you? Is there someone you know is struggling? Can you be helpful? Can you walk up to them and tell them, you know, the Lord put in my heart to pray for you. Or maybe the other way. The Lord put it in my heart to ask you to pray for, to, that you might pray for me. Brothers and sisters, you have a rare opportunity. In this time of transition, Rick Duncan's not dead, but it's, it's the passing of a, an era in your church. And in any time of the passing of an era, don't give the evil one one moment to cause turmoil among you. How do you do that? Focus on the Lord. 
We may have political parties. We may have employment issues. We may have teachers we don't like. We may have neighbors that drive us crazy. Remember, for all of that, God is on his throne. And his train fills the temple. He's all around you. And he would say, I love you. I've forgiven you. I've saved you. And now I'm sending you. Your question, brothers and sisters, who is Lord sending you to here? Maybe in this room, maybe in this church, or just maybe in this town. But you're going to be sent. And how exciting it is. There's almost nothing, almost nothing as exciting as being sent and watching the Lord work. Oh, it's been a long time ago, 40 years ago, when I was young and even more foolish than I am now. I worked for a group called InterVarsity. I was an InterVarsity chaplain at the university in Sacramento. And one of the things we would do is we would, be, uh, we would go for about 12, 14 days every year in the summer and live in the dorms at UC Berkeley. And one of my tasks was to take my group of about 15 students. We had about 60 students going through this training. It was friendship and um, uh, outreach evangelism was this seminar we did every summer. I had three students from Montana and they weren't even sure they'd ever heard the word evangelism. And they were terrified. They thought maybe I was going to put down a soapbox and say they had to stand up in Sprawl Plaza and preach the word. Now that would have been fun. And I actually did that several times. That shows you how dumb I am. But I was concerned and I knew the Lord would be gentle with these three students. And uh, so I said, look, I know you're terrified about this. Remember what evangelism means. Evangelism comes from the Greek word euangelion. And it is to say or pronounce or share good news. That's one way to translate it. But actually, you could almost equally translate it to share or be good news. So I told these three students, I said, look, let's put it all on the Lord. We're going to go sit at the, at the fountain in the middle of Sproul Plaza. We'll sit there and we'll pray that God will bring the person to us who we're supposed to share with. I said, Rick, I don't think that works. I said, well, let's just ask the Lord. So we went and we sat for about 20 minutes and uh, I prayed with the kids and I looked up and there's this guy standing there with his hands on his hips looking at us. I said, you're those religious people, aren't you? I said, well, yes. And he said, Listen, I'm a university graduate student. I go here at Berkeley, and I'm from, I'm from South America. He spoke very good English. And he said, uh, I know what you're saying is foolish. So not knowing any better, I thought, well, okay, God brought us one. Here's a fish right into our net. I said, uh, well, tell me why you think we're foolish. That led to an hour-long conversation an invitation back to his house to have dinner with his housemates and we got to share the gospel for the next eight hours. Now tell me that God's not in control. I don't know what God will do with you. I don't know how God will use you. But if you pray, if you have a vision of the Lord, he will send you to the people in this room, to the people in this church and the people in this town to make a difference for the kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these folks who are here today, who we got to look at your word a little bit, and hopefully, Lord, we can get just a little glimpse of your throne room. 
Lord, we pray that we will sense and remember how you've cleansed us, you've saved us, and now, Lord, you're sending us. Help us to be your missionaries, your apostolos, ones who are sent into this church, this town, and this place, and this time. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you do among us and with us, and help us have a vision of the things that lay ahead that make this church great. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.